Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Dissatisfied, a holy discontent. That's kind of where we're at. You know, you find yourself there in life sometimes. You're just, ah. you know, there's a discontent, there's a dissatisfaction, you, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And, and so that's, that's, this is where we're going this morning. We're going we're gonna to look at Moses. We're going to do a deep dive to where he had an encounter with God at the burning bush. I'm calling it uh, Moses' burning encounter because if there's anybody who was discontent, if there's anybody who was dissatisfied, boy, it had to be Moses. I mean, here's a guy who was standing on the brink of greatness. His whole future was in front of him, and yet it turned into a dismal failure, a total dead end, and he's living his life on the backside of the desert with a bunch of woolies to the point where he's stammering. He can't even talk right anymore. What happened to this man? He's probably thinking, oh God, I thought I knew you, but this was not the way it was supposed to end for me, a total fail. I think uh, we can find ourselves in Moses. I think maybe you will today. That's why we have these historical accounts that we can dive into because, because they are for us, it's for you and I to glean from today so that we know what to do next. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. It's uh, quite a few verses here, but you have to get the whole context of the story here so we know where we're going. Here we go. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from burning from bush within, or from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And this, uh, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians have oppressed them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people up out of the land of Egypt, you will, bring, you will worship God on this mountain. So again, we're going to go on a journey here. We're going to unpack this. I believe that, uh, the, that God's program of getting his job done really begins for this place of ultimate surrender. 
an ultimate surrender is a lifestyle, living that way, living out your service and life before the Lord with an attitude of worship laced through everything you do. So important because he's going to bring them to this mountain to worship. <clears throat> now, uh, surrender, service, and worship. There's, there's something powerful about that. Now, when I say worship, you may be thinking, well, that's what we do on, on our Sunday celebration service. Well, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about, although that is uh, included. But what I'm talking about is this mindset of understanding a, a spirit that dominates your life and living in everything you do. Worship being the first priority in all that we do in serving, in um, working, in recreation, in relationship, in every aspect of life, you're living it out as though there's a sense of honor and integrity and service before the Lord that characterizes itself with this worship. Does that make sense? It's just ongoing, just bleeds. Everything happened now, you look at this grand story, and we've, we've walked through some of this, but everything that happens to Israel and their deliverance from Egypt and their journey through the wilderness and entry into uh, the possession of the promised land, all of that contains mammoth lessons for all of us. All, all the things that Israel went through in their journey is parabolic for all of us. In other words, there's, they're not just stories, but it's history. It's history that becomes prophetic because the Word of God springs out of it to not just report what happened, but, but to reveal to us what happened because it's the kind of thing that God wants us to experience as well in our own lives. And so they, they experience this, and their experience can be ours as well. For instance, this massive deliverance out of Egypt. Massive. Their incredible journey, moving through the wilderness under the glory cloud of God and possessing uh, the promised land. Uh, that is what you and I are called to experience through our relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the cross. Jesus has brought us out of our Egypt to bring us in to a, a promised land that he has defined for us. This is God's order. That's how he does it. It was with Israel, he brought them out of Egypt to bring them into a promised land, and he brings us out to take us in all, also, and that is his order. Now, the encounter that Moses has at Mount Horeb, and you hear this interchangeably, you hear Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, they're both the same place. And he has this amazing encounter, it's, it's famous, it's a famous episode that takes place, the famous burning bush. And if you haven't ever read about it in the Bible, I would encourage you to do that, but you, you probably saw a movie called The Ten Commandments, it's usually televised every Easter. And it wasn't Charlton Heston, right? <laughs> but it was actually Moses who encountered the bush, the burning bush, and had this mighty moment. And wrapped up in that moment is so many lessons for us. Moses, though, at the burning bush is something we need to see as he truly is in his life. Where is he at emotionally? Where is Moses at at this time? We got to crawl into the mind of Moses at this point. Because at this point, he sees this glimmering on the hillside. He steps into to try to get a better view. And so he determines to turn aside from shepherding sheep for a moment to investigate this strange phenomenon. So he briefly leaves the sheep behind and he makes his way up the mountainside because he wants to see this great sight. 
And there's something strange and unusual that captures his intention at this time. But we need, again, to, to feel the man whose attention just got caught. What is going on in Moses' life? Where is he at? And we need to understand that. Because he's human like you and I. He has emotions like you and I. He has failures and successes like you and I. Now, again, there's things we need to understand. If you look at the Bible, there's things that are very clear about Moses. First of all, um, Moses is at his uh, highest point in his life at one point. Now he's 80 80 years old. 80 when this is happening. The past 40 years, he's been in exile on the backside of the desert. He's... Before this, though, Moses was being groomed to ascend to the throne of Pharaoh, the primary leader of Egypt. The first 40 years of his life, he was being schooled in economics and diplomacy and the court manner and authority and all the things that are made up, that make up the Egyptian culture. He was immersed in that. Moses didn't have uh, the ethnic background of an Egyptian. Through the providence of God, he was rescued from the Nile as a baby and raised in the court of Pharaoh. Now, knowing his Jewish background, though, he's seeing the people, his people uh, of his race being uh, enslaved, and he felt inside that there's something which was actually God was doing inside of him. He was stirring something in him, a desire to see the deliverance of those people, to get them help. He wanted to protect them. He wanted to defend them. And that desire is not uncommon. When God stirs something in you and me, he puts that in us and it sets us on a course to want to do something, to want to make a change, to to want to press through something and really leverage and get in that area of danger and risk for the sake of something God puts in us. Now, that's that's what Moses sets out to do. But he he ends up killing, actually, an Egyptian soldier that was brutalizing a Hebrew slave. And it backfires on him. If he wasn't the heir to the throne of Egypt, he probably would have been executed. But instead, he's banished. So he runs for, runs at the risk of his life. He ends up on the, in this great wilderness called the Wilderness of Sinai. And, and it's there that he encounters a group of sheep herders. And he begins to live among them. He marries into a family. And he becomes a shepherd. He learns the ways of the shepherd. Now think about that. He's standing on the brink of his highest point of accomplishment. He was highly educated, trained to be a national leader, preparing to lead a great nation at the greatest of its time. And now he's leading sheep. He's not leading a nation. He's leading sheep. A bunch of woolies that smell there's really no comparison to what that would have been like, that transition that would have been like for Moses. 40 years old, why not? We're not talking 25 years old. We're not talking 13 years old or 18 years old. We are talking 40 years old, starting over as a shepherd. When you encounter, when he encounters this burning bush, you read later that he develops a speech impediment. He, he's a stammering shepherd on top of that. He tells God, I can't go to Pharaoh. I can't even talk right. You ever wonder what happened there? How did that happen? Here's a guy who was fluent and smart. 
Maybe it was the unresolved internal discord in his life now, the frustration, the, the knowing that it, the way his life turned out, a, a dead end, a nobody. Nobody knows this guy. He thought life was going to be this way, but instead it just collapsed into this dreary existence. And maybe he's living with that now, and it's gnawing on the inside of him, and it's, his emotions are just twisted at this point, to the point where it's affecting where he's, his, his speech, his fluency. He can't even process his thoughts correctly anymore. He's just like undone. Or maybe he lost his fluency because he'd been hanging out months at a time with a bunch of sheep where there's not a whole lot of conversation, and if there was any, it sure wasn't very intelligent. I don't know, but something happened. So why did it take so long for the burning bush? Forty years is a long time. Why not ten years? Uh, maybe five years into the episode. Why did forty years come on? Some of us aren't even forty years yet. We can't even imagine. Obviously, it took. It took. It had take that long for Moses actually to come to a place to where he can have this divine encounter for good reason. Apparently, it took that long for the juices of Moses' own zeal to dry up. Remember, he had a passion to do a really good thing, but when he tried to do it his own way, he ended up in death instead of deliverance. He wanted to do it his own way, and he was sincere, and so he really, really got after it, and instead it was death and not deliverance. You know, when one person, he's trying to solve a problem to set a lot of people free with one person at a time. <laughs> but God wants to set a whole nation free. <laughs> I'll tell you what. And there's only, you know, there's, there's, there's no one person that can set a whole nation free. That, that, that takes God. But God uses people. Now, now, this, is, this gets confusing for us. I think there's a tension here that we kind of wrestle through. Um, that there's something that only God can do. And when God makes up his mind to do this great thing that only God can do, he says, well, only I can pull this off, but I'm going to use you. And we always go, uh, huh? How does that work? We get confused. He's going to use people, and so, hey, if he's going to use somebody, well, then I'm going to be the one, so I better get with the program here and you know, get, get my stuff together so I can help God out. You know? And this, this can be confusing because I want to help God, and I think you want to help God, and we're all sincere in that, but then we hear, but God really doesn't need your help. But he does want to use you, and he does call us into partnership. That's very clear in Scripture. Well, if he doesn't need my help, then why does he use me? Because really, people are the channel he uses. And uh, the important thing we really need to understand is, and this helps us, I think, if we really, we've got to come back to this, is people aren't the power source he uses. The power is him, right? And there's something of his power that comes through surrendered lives. And we don't always get that, but we can't forget it. Because look at this verse next. Exodus 3.8 says this. So I have come down, this is God saying, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up and out of the land into a good and spacious land, land flowing with milk and honey. God said, I've come down to deliver them. I'm going to deliver them out and bring them in, bring them up. God says, I'm going to do that. 
And then in this conversation with Moses, verse 10, he says this to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people, the Israelites out of Egypt. So the Lord says, I'm going to deliver them. And then he says, and you're going to bring them out. See, this is the power partnership between God and man. The power is the Lord's. The power will always be God's. But he does it through people. Hard to get a hold of that. We all have work to do. We've got God assignments at times. Vision he puts in our lives. A sense of mission that God wants us to do. And how many times do we get frustrated when we don't get it done? Moses tried it. He gave it his best effort. He was sincere. It didn't work out. It backfired on him. Now he's back in the desert 40 years grinding it out. Mm, how am I going to get this done? Ah, just push this. Every day getting up, stomping around. What happened? What happened? God, what? You, ever get that pla- you ever get to the place where you're thinking, I just can't seem to pull this off? How do you handle that frustration, that discontent? Some people do it this way. They try to keep their cool, and they just keep pushing on the inside, and they're seething. And finally, they just have a violent outburst. Ah! <laughs> you ever been there? Ah! Ah! Uh, some do it this way. They just throw up their hands in despair and say, I give up. I can't. Forget it. I'm done. Walk away. So many different expressions that we go through. People, how they handle frustration when they're trying to accomplish something they set out to do. Some will carry it on with a, with a, a heroic diligence. I mean, they'll just get a hold of something and because this is too worthy to just let it go and I will press this thing through. And you know, it eventually grinds the life out of them because this is what happened. The vision that they have becomes an engraven idol in front of their mind that commands their allegiance and now I'm just going to see this through and press it through. Yet all the inspiration and all the joy and everything has evaporated, but you know what? This is, this is just too great a cause. And that's, you know, people will hang on tenaciously like that until finally they suffer burnout. Burnout's a real deal today. My first 10 years of ministry, I almost came to that place. I stayed too long. Inspiration lifted, joy lifted, but it was this heroic diligence, this almost like an idol. I will hang on to this thing. I'll push it through, get her done. And just sucking the life right out of me. You got to be careful about that. Moses, here's a guy he tried to do his best to fulfill his mission at great personal risk and ends up being a reversal and now he's watching sheep out in no man's land, right? I wonder how many times he was just grinding through it every day and he's thinking, I don't know, man, this isn't right. This isn't how it was supposed to end for me. What went wrong? And you can get angry, or you could become full of despair, or you can burn out. We can all find ourselves there. But then there came a day that he saw another kind of flame than the flame that had once ruled his zeal. He saw a flame, and it was glorious. It was different. It was a fire that had this strange force and beauty and splendor. And the bush that it was resting on was not destroyed or consumed. 
That's how God works. This is a picture of the work of God versus the work of man. The force, the dynamic power of God and his glory can come upon whatever he chooses in this physical realm. Just like the flames of fire that rested on those on the day of Pentecost in the books of Acts, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were set ablaze and they were fueled forward and the church continues to flame forward to this day because that's the work of God. Down through the ages and the corridors continues to flame forward. That's the octane of heaven, my friends. Or like the flame that enveloped the bush that did not destroy it. The power of God and the fire. And Moses is getting a picture. He's catching a picture of the difference between the works of God and the works of man. There's something being mirrored back to him at that point. And he's looking at it straight forward and he's thinking, this is what I've been waiting for. This makes sense. See, what's happening at that point is that's when the Lord says, take your shoes off, Moses. Where you're, where you're standing is, is holy ground. It's not just that, just that it was holy ground that, where he had to become barefooted, but I'm going to put this up on the screen. What really I believe God was saying many things. One was, get out of the things that you are used to standing in that are made by the hands of men, the works of men. They wear out. You get tired. They lose traction. You slip and you fall and you can't sustain. And God says, and come and stand on what I have made because that territory is a whole lot more durable because it's the work of God. And it sustains and it fuels and it envisions and there's life in it and there's traction in it. The things that man puts together that you stand in wear out, they burn out. But what God says I have created, you can stand on and it will last, well, it'll last as long as you're going to be around. And so there's a message that the Lord brings to Moses about the power of God instead of our own zeal. The power of surrender and worship. It took about 40 years for Moses' own zeal to dry up, to get him to that place, for God to get his attention to say, now I'm going to use you. Because you realize you can't pull this off. And when the Lord says, I'm going to use you, Moses' response is so interesting. Verse 11, he says, but Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites up out of Egypt? Isn't that interesting? Who am I? Boy, that's a man who's really lost his confidence. I mean, he is drained out. Everything is just leaked out, man. He's like, what have I got to contribute to this program? We'll put this up there. I'll tell you why. Because it's not a matter of what you are not, but who he is. Amen? Not a matter of what you're not. That has no bearing. But it's about all about who he is. This is really important uh, because this question, for two reasons. First of all, radically different. Think about Moses 40 years prior. Well, more than that now. But back in Egypt... In the courts of Pharaoh, I mean, he is robed in majesty, he's smart, he's educated, he is ready to go, and God comes to him and says, now Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and talk to him about setting my people free. And Moses' response probably would have been, 
yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I'm here in Pharaoh's court and I've been groomed for this and I'm prepared and I got my act together and I got this platform I'm standing on now. People don't, you know, they know me, they trust me. And I, okay, yeah, God, that makes sense. I can do that. But now, 40 years later, who am I? <laughs> who am I? In other words, God doesn't need the platform that you have to offer him. We need to get that right. Any platform God has given us, he really doesn't need it to get the job done. I mean, he'll use where you're at. He'll do that, and he does that all the time. But he can do so many things in so many different ways that he's never reliant upon the resources we think God would naturally need. That's really important for us to remember this morning. Moses is about to become the instrument of deliverance, and that's, there's not anything whatsoever going for this guy. I mean, he's been spending 40 years uh, walking around with a bunch of woolies. And now he stammers. And God says, you're my man! And Moses is looking around. He's got to be kidding me. And so he understandably says, well, who am I? And God answers. And God said, well, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. You're going to bring the people out of Egypt, and you take them to this mountain, and you're going to worship me there. I'll give the answer. I'll paraphrase it again. I'll be with you. I'll give you a sign. Bring the people to the mountain and worship me. That's the goal. That's who you are. Now, the answer doesn't go with the question, right? I'll run it by you again. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I'll be with you. Who am I? I'll be with you. Confusing. In other words, this is what it's all about. Here's omniscient omnipotent, mighty God who really doesn't need a thing. The only thing is that he has chosen to involve us. And he won't function any other way. Isn't that remarkable? God has confined himself of his own choice to working only through people. The great difficulty he has is finding people who will come to learn that he's not using them because he really needs them. <laughs> or what they've got. But he's using them because he has made up his mind, and I'll put this up here on the screen, that he wants to show them who he is as he works through them. Isn't that just the goodness of God on display all over again? You mean, God, if I surrender to you and what you want to do through me, it's really not that you need me or have, need what I have, but you simply want to reveal yourself further to me? And I get to enjoy that? And God's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He says, you bring my people here in this atmosphere of worship on this mountain. That's the goal. And they'll begin to see who I really am. Wow. That's amazing. The fact is, later on, Moses does discover who he is. And the people discover who Moses is in the atmosphere of worship. People discover their identities, and they discover their destiny. And those are two great things that everybody's looking for. Who I am, and why am I here? What am I about? Where did I come from, and where am I going? Identity and destiny. People wrestle with that. And all, all are answered in coming to the Lord and beginning to walk with Him with that sense of surrender and worship. And therefore... Therein comes the full release of the purpose of God. 
Worship becomes, when I say worship becomes a priority, it becomes the key to releasing your life. I mean, unlocking all the individual's creative potential and intended destiny. That's what happens to Moses. This is what happens. You talk about creativity, this is a guy who starts writing songs. He writes books. There'll be a manifestation of God's creativity through him through the construction of the tabernacle in Leviticus. And he will design a worship center that will become the heartbeat of God's center of operation on planet Earth for many years. It all happens as Moses yields his life to God and begins to worship. That's creativity. He'll become the best-known emancipator in human history. He'll deliver an entire nation from the grip of the most powerful man in the world. Moses becomes a great leader. He also comes to understand the purpose and the power of God through him. He does discover his identity and destiny to be this emancipator, this deliverer, and amazing leader. Pretty incredible story. And it all starts with a guy who's out in the middle of uh, the desert, keep it cheap, and he's bewildered by what has transpired in the past years that has become an absolute total fail. And now he's standing in front of this bush where God makes this message as clear as it can be made. God has a plan that will not bring you to a place of anger, bitterness, and frustration, Moses, or burnout. But instead, there's a fire that's going to come upon you and you're going to experience the work of God through your life. And it's going to accomplish everything that God intended, His purpose, without destroying you or the vessel it's working through. That's how God does this. And the Lord says, I'm going to send you, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to use you. Who am I? Hmm. God says, look, I'll be with you. And you'll, you'll receive greater revelation of me in your life like you have never would have received any other way. Bring the people now to this mountain. And when they begin to worship me, they're going to begin to see who I am. And it doesn't say I'll, they'll find out who you are, although they do. Which brings me to the Gospels really quick, little hiatus here. There's a point in the Gospels where Jesus asks the disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? They're all scratching their heads going, hmm, trick question? Hmm. They're throwing up some suggestions. Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Now, Peter spoke to them, spoke actually for them. But at that, at that point, he wasn't called Peter. He, he was being called Simon all this time. Yet one day, three years before, Jesus has said, said that you're going to be called Peter one day, but that hasn't happened yet. And so Peter pipes up and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, ah, but let me tell you, you didn't get that on your own. That was a divine revelation upon your heart from God. And then Jesus said to Peter, he said, you're Simon, but now I say you are called Peter. And basically, a lot of lives are going to be changed through you. So basically what he was saying is the same principle we've been talking about, is when you come to discover who I am, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord says, 
you're going to come to find out who you are and what you're about. Identity and destiny is released at a whole other level. Powerful spiritual breakthrough happens when people learn the power source is his. He uses clay vessels, but the glory and the power is his. Could it be that God wants to kind of bring us and take us and just shake us down until we get, we get down to the basic elements of, of what he can actually really work with? Like with Moses, a stuttering shepherd in the wilderness who became a great deliverer of a nation. It was because he learned the pathway of moving out of dependence on self, where there's always frustration, there's anger, there's burnout, there's discontent. And he encounters God who says, my glory is going to come upon you and my power is going to work through you. It's not going to destroy you. You're going to discover the work of God and who I am at a whole new level. Moses, you know, you may be older now and you may feel tired, like you don't have the energy to pull this off. And that's maybe you, you may be right, but my energy will work through you. So let's get going. Let's deliver Israel. And they do. They do. I'll have the worship team make their way out. Now, this brings us to this final place. We're on a journey here. We're unpacking this. When they deliver them, the first thing they do, finally, it took them a while, but they finally get to the mountain where God told them to bring them. And for 15 months, they stay there. And what do they do? They learn about worship before they go into the promised land. It all centers around the tabernacle that Moses constructed through the instruction of God. A place where they learn what God is like, how to worship him. Now, the Ten Commandments was not what Mount Sinai was about. That happened. It was a pretty quick window. And I'm not discounting the word of his commandments. That's what happened there, but that's not what it was about. What Mount Sinai was about, it was all about worship. Fifteen months in one location, learning to worship God. And he said, when you, when you learn to worship God, and when they did that, then they started finally moving out. Fifteen months to discover who God is and worship him. And through that process, God was revealing himself to them. And their identity began to solidify before their destiny was released. Ultimately, God called Moses to bring the people to him to worship him. Ultimately. He said, because if you bring them to worship me, I'm going to show myself to them. Something is going to happen. They're going to understand who they are. And life, there will be life released through them in their journey into the promised land. It's very powerful. And I don't know where you're at today. You might be in a place where you feel frustrated. Maybe you feel like everything has dried up and drained out of your life. Maybe you feel like, you know, I'm at a place and I didn't expect to be here. This isn't what I thought way it was going to end. This isn't where I thought I would be. And God is saying, you're just at the right place to discover my work in and through you. Because your efforts aren't going to cut it. It's that deep place of surrender and say, okay, God, I have, I have hung on to this thing and it's become like a graven idol to me. 
I'm ready to throw it down and surrender. And, and I want my life just to be lived out with this onward service of surrender and worship unto you because through that, full creativity and, and purpose will be released in and through my life. It's not an easy place for some of us to get. Some of us, boy, we'll white knuckle it and hang on because I'm going to, by God, pull this off. And God says, mm, I'll give you a few more months until you finally say, okay, God. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.